my cool and you know, not regret it. You know, it's it's going to come back to, to hurt our team. You know. It's be called uh, embarrassing. Absolutely. You know, that, that is embarrassing. You know, what I did was you know, foolish and I shouldn't have allowed myself to, to slip like that. That's out of character, but you know, a situation like that where you know it's an emotional game, like Larry said, and uh, allow myself to to fall into those emotions, you know, with that, that last play and what happened. Talking Cleveland Browns football with the best fans in all of SB Nation. Not quite normal, but we're getting there. Ready to go to 60 minutes, go all the way, go toe-to-toe with them. Start grinding through it here. You're listening to Straight No Chaser on Dogs by Nature. My Dogs by Nature family, I hope this transmission finds you well. My name is Thelonious7, and you're listening to Straight No Chaser on Dogs by Nature. Waning, meek, ray of hope, sliver, dwindling, last gasp. All these terms can be used to describe the chances that the Browns have of finding their way into the playoffs for the first time in a decade and a half. Barry Shuck will help us assess the reality of the remaining possibilities of this, however dim they might be. We're also going to talk about the top five Browns on offense and defense. And we're going to end this show thinking about the game out west against the Arizona Cardinals. But before that, I got to get into the straight truth for this week's episode, which is this. If only, if only. Ernest A. Thayer wrote perhaps the greatest sports verse in American history. It was about baseball. And he absolutely nails the position of the fan in relation to the spectacle that they're witnessing. It starts like this. The outlook wasn't brilliant for the Mudville 9 that day. The score stood 4-2 with but an inning left to play. And when Cody died at first and Barrows did the same, a sickening silence fell upon the patrons of the game. A straggling few got up to go in deep despair, bandwagon jumpers. The rest clung to the hope which springs eternal in the human breast. They thought if only Casey could get a whack at that, we'd put up even money now with Casey at the bat. That if only, if only, That expression of frustration and powerlessness in the wake of impending loss or grief, that space between bargaining and acceptance, that is what the Cleveland fan has endured this year more than anything. As this season draws to a close, I wanted to quickly mention three if-onlys. The first if-only of the Cleveland Browns 2019 season is Duke Johnson. If only the Browns were to retain Duke Johnson for at least the first eight games of the year. I tried to make this point in the Daily Dog Chow yesterday, and I don't think it went over incredibly well. Well, my arguments are pretty much anecdotal, but I would suggest that Duke Johnson over Hilliard is a subtle type of downgrade that made this team even worse this year. He's a guy who keeps drives alive. I'm thinking about Duke Johnson. 
You can reasonably run the ball inside with him, and he had absolutely spectacular hands. Abstractly, though, my uh, opponents in this fight were saying, running back two? Isn't that a fungible position? <laughs> to, to which I say, Hilliard was never Duke Johnson. And the Browns did a poor job of replacing him, and that hurt them early. And you can tell how much easier it is for them now when they have credible play action uh, to keep a defense honest. I think it costs us to have Hilliard in the game in critical situations. I would say it's two wins, Seattle, Denver. But momentum being what it is, it could have cost the team even more than that. Now, the second if only I had would be if only the Browns had better in-game decision-making, if they picked better spots, if only they were deceptive in their aggressions. And that, of course, is a question of Freddie Kitchens. Freddie Kitchens shows a lot of blind aggression, but over the course of this year, he doesn't do something that surprises me or surprises them or amazingly execute. If only the coaches had more experience, you know what I mean? Well, the last if only is probably the most obvious. I made a mistake. I lost my cool and I regret it. Gonna come back to to hurt our team. Cowardly, kind of pretty bush league. Go watch the replay, I I don't know. I mean, I... I, uh, we, We play the Browns, so I don't know. Think I'll do another so. Eight seconds into the game. Lord knows it should have been the very last play of a huge round win, and we had plans to stick it to the towel with the Steelers fans. Cowardly, kind of pretty bush league. Stick it to the towel with the Steelers fans. Then what transpired at the wire? Photo puts cold rivalry on fire. Mason Rudolph. Sipping ketchup, he ain't never gonna get Garrett's helmet. Oh, why? Oh, why? Oh, why? Oh, my, oh, my. Oh, my, oh, my. Oh, why? Oh, why? Oh, why? Oh, why? start asking that question why oh why i think you're starting to think about questions of accountability and it's basically another way of playing the blame game when it came to the duke johnson situation i initially blamed dorsey about that stuff but then i started thinking about it and i kind of feel like he's only maybe partially to blame here because really he got pretty good value for duke johnson at the time he traded him what he failed to do was adequately replace him 
I suppose the issue with that was why the price was so good in the first place. I think if Dorsey had his way, he would have waited until week eight and maybe not traded him at all. He stated that as his preference right up until it actually happened. Of course, you'll recall our quarterback putting our in-house issues in the media. And, you know, Baker is still learning. But back when I was lampooning his breakfast burritos, I was saying specifically, he has to be more mindful of public and private. We should never have to see what terrible breakfast burrito chef he really is. And I got no problem with his honesty and forthrightness. But media by its nature will create damaging controversy in their narratives. And these controversies can literally rip a team apart. And this is an example of that. If only Baker was a little more seasoned. Yeah. You know, the second piece about Kitchens, I would blame on Dorsey as he hired the inexperience and built the team around it. But really, who to blame for Miles Garrett, right? Now, I'm a Browns fan first and foremost. I consider the Browns like a family to me. We share a tribe and... So when Miles Garrett got that indefinite suspension, I personally took it hard, as did a lot of the Cleveland Browns community. We took it hard because we now know that we aren't the same team without that playmaker on defense. We got the win, but then we lost our friend. That's when our season officially ended. I mean, it's not technically over. There's still a sliver. There's still a little bit of hope that we're hanging on to. And so we're going to talk about the chances a bit later. But in some way, I feel like it doesn't matter because they're really not going to do anything in the playoffs without Miles. This Miles watershed is an incredible data point, and it serves as a perfect microcosm for what has happened with this team. This team can't seem to win for losing. Why? Well, to be honest, Atawas would say it's the rising and falling of 10,000 things. No one can control all the elements that affect the results. It becomes a little easier to see when you look at this event one realm at a time. Out of control spat between Rudolph and Garrett is on the players level. Who started it, of course, it's not really important because intelligent people, and I assure you, there are intelligent people in Northeastern West Virginia. Intelligent people can disagree about the cause of the event, but there's no question about the damage of the spectacle. It's rough because the more you break down what happened, and the more you are sure that there's so much more to it than what initially decided this punishment. But the bottom line is, we aren't going to see anything like that again this year because the league dealt with it effectively by ending Miles Garrett's 2019 Cleveland Browns season as well as the team at large. And that's on Garrett. In retrospect, the punishment doesn't necessarily fit the crime in terms of the whole nuance story. You have a kind of a backing judgment based on the questionable idea of an action rather than a contextual understanding. Basically, if you say, hey, he hit a guy in his head with his helmet, in a vacuum, yeah, it's pretty terrible, pretty egregious, and it looked pretty awful. But as you see the context in which it happened in, it was definitely more of a more of a push-pull, tit-for-tat kind of a spat. In context, of course, Mason Rudolph drinks ketchup. That's a certainty. And there are natural consequences for behaving in the manner in which Mason Rudolph did. Ultimately, the NFL chose not to protect him from those natural consequences. 
You can't really stop at the player's realm though. Blaming Freddie Kitchens for Garrett getting suspended is somewhat disingenuous. It's not really fair because how often does something like that happen? I don't think it's ever happened. I'm going to blame Kitchens though because he's certainly culpable for the product he puts on the field. And I don't think you should really stop at Kitchens either. You could get into Dorsey too and then I don't think you have to stop there. You can easily get into the existential realm and talk about the realm of the ownership and what they contributed to the situation as well. But we can look for and examine narratives. We can hypothesize. But Kitchens is definitely culpable for allowing his stars to chase meaningless stats. Now this is the thing that kills me and I'm not sure that Kitchens has learned a thing about this so far. Players chase stats Media chases controversy. That's Freddie Kitchen's initial statement at his press conference when he first was hired by the Browns two years ago. Coaches know this. It's their job to finesse players away from their own personal interests into the interests of the team for the purpose of winning. And now with this story, he's just handed the media and his detractors the controversy that they need. Kitchens has failed thus far at this kind of situation and it's this is the most painful reminder of that fact it's a reminder that his game management has left a lot to be desired and as an aside it scares me that people are talking about him giving up his play calling to focus on game management play calling is the only aspect of his work that i would say that i see any promise in whatsoever sure he could be better uh, but i haven't seen him do anything but get out coached this year he isn't deceptive he gambles with what he can't afford to lose, and at the very least, a manager should understand the numbers behind his decision making. You don't necessarily just use those numbers to make your choices. You don't base your choices on analytical considerations alone. But trust me, if everybody knows the numbers and you don't, you're not helping yourself. Of course, we don't have to stop there. As much as it pains me, we've got to go to Dorsey. Because he's the franchise captain, he picked this franchise quarterback. And he's given this quarterback three offensive coordinators in less than two years, and it's likely to be four and three. Yeah, I guess we could probably add an if only John Dorsey to the if only Duke, if only Kitchens, and if only Miles Garrett narratives that we have as we wind out this season. Okay, we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Straight No Chaser on Dogs by Nature. I'm your host, Alonia Seven. We'll be right back. hardcore that he released two articles in two days about the Browns playoff chances he released playoff watch 5.0 on the 10th and yesterday of course the article about the playoff picture and yes the Browns can still make the playoffs and listen I know how I started this show but it's December 12th as I put this show to the microphone 
and Cleveland is still listed on the network graphics as being in the hunt. And even at 500 or under 500, they own the eight ticket for the six passenger ride. They're definitely not gonna be driving and they're not getting a shotgun or a window seat. They can hopefully get smushed in the middle of the back, but they would be happy to be there as their chances are just around one in 12 to earn that sixth seed. To get there, they're gonna have to jump two of the Steelers, Texans, Titans, or Bills and finish first or second with these five teams in a race. It's gonna be harder to do than you might think. Easier said than done, as most say. Step one is very clear. They can't stop winning. They need to win out, and that is absolutely certain. This week is not a gimme. They played their worst games of the year so far traveling out west. First, that debacle in San Francisco at the Gene. They got smashed by the 49ers. And again, when they disappointed everyone in Denver. So, of course, it's important for the team to keep that 1-0 mantra going. But they absolutely have to win out. And that is certain. And that week, of course, is going to be a tough one. And if they get that one first, the one that they do this week in Arizona, they will be at 500 for the first time since they last played the Greater Chesapeake Ravens. Now, the Ravens must want to rest L. Jacks in the worst way. He's going to be going into that game with at least nine games off. Nine days off. And that could be for win number 13, which should in all likelihood clinch the AFC number one seed for them. So it's a game that they will certainly be motivated to win should it come to that. Now the Ravens are close to the driver's seat, clinching the driver's seat right now. They play tonight. They sit atop the greater AFC. And with the Pats playing the Bengals, it's I would say it's basically certain that it's going to happen that way. But I repeat, once again, the Browns have to win the first game. They gotta win this one in Arizona. It's the most important thing now. Prove they can win on the road, out west, wherever they have to go. Should they manage it, of course, the next one's going to be LJAX. And I, I don't even think that Northern Kentucky is going to be a, a gimme either. They got other things to worry about no matter what it is. But for this week in general, this week on Sunday's Focus on 5, for the Sunday Morning Post that is, we have game number one would be the Pats at the Bengals. We want to see if the Pats are going to win. Of course, they looks pretty good. Of course, the, oh, the, the Spygate thing coming up as well on that one. But that's going to be the first game we talk about. But next, it's going to be the Chiefs and the Broncos because I want to see how, um, what's his name, Drew Locke does in his starting role against a very serious team traveling into their stadium, I believe. But the last two games in the Focus on Five before the Browns game are very interesting games indeed. It's going to be Bills at Steelers and then Texas Titans. Now, Bills and Steelers is going to be an incredibly fascinating matchup. The Bills are traveling over to Ketchup Field to Northeastern West Virginia to play that game. And I, I really think that the Steelers are going to have a very solid chance to pick up this victory. Should the Bills um, lose this game and then go on to lose next week, they would have a chance to clinch that 10th victory 
at Baseball Cap Field versus the Jets. They would definitely have to win that one to get in and to get their 10th victory. But that might be the first time that they're favored until week 17. Now the Steelers, the Steelers, the Steelers. Should the Steelers prevail against the Bills this Sunday, they will likely clinch a playoff spot in week 16 as they travel to New York to take on the Jets. And if they don't get it in week 16, they're almost certain to do it in week 17. As the Ravens are most likely to have their spot already sewn up for the first seed going into that contest and should be resting their starters for that one. I guess even though I throw some shade earlier in the year at G-Will, we're all Jets fans now. <laughs> now, Texans-Titans, oh my goodness. The Texans and Titans played twice in the last three weeks of the season. Both teams sit at 8-5. and five. One team's going to have nine wins after this week's contest. The Titans in week 16 are going to have to play the Saints in uh, the Volunteer State. And the Texans are traveling to Tampa to face the surging Buccaneers. Let's see if we can get to week 16 intact and see what happens. You're listening to Straight No Chaser on Dogs by Nature Radio. Now, let's get to the top five players on offense and defense for the Browns. We haven't done this for a while, but let's start with the defense first as we customarily do on this program. Uh, Now, we'll count them from the top to the bottom. Number one is, without question, Joe Schobert. Second is Denzel Ward. At third, we have uh, Richardson. At fourth, we have Demarius Randall. And fifth, we have Sheldrick the Turnover Chain Redwine. It's been a while since we ran this list for the defense, and it's the first time all year that I haven't had Miles Garrett as position number one. Man, we absolutely need Denzel Ward to play well this year. Or OV needs to get better quick or something. Because this defense is not the same without Miles as the threat that he is. Let's hope Taki Taki or some of the young guys on the line can step up to make some plays. Because they're going to have their hands full with a very mobile quarterback this week. It's a little different than the ones they faced thus far in uh, Russell Wilson and with Lamar Jackson. Now on offense. The top spot is manned by Nick Chubb. Second place is Baker Mayfield. Third is Jarvis Landry. Fourth, Kareem Hunt. And fifth is OBJ. I felt like this list was a little bit easier to make than the defensive list, especially at picks four and five. But I'm a little bit worried about this list because, of course, this list, the top players really speak to the identity of the team. Great that you have the two runners in the top five, as you really do want to be a team that can control the clock, control the ball by putting the ball into those guys' hands. However, there is not a tight end or a lineman to be found in the top five, which is a bit scary. And also, Mayfield is in first on the list, which is also scary. It might be because Chubb is doing so well. Uh, But regardless, Baker's not first. And OBJ, perhaps a Hall of Fame talent, is at five. Now they face a Cardinals defense that failed to pressure Duck Hodges in last week's contest. 
Let's see how the Browns fare. I'm thinking they're going to need to score 27 plus points to beat the Cardinals in Indemnity Stadium. During the Sunday morning post, we will delve further into the story for an even closer look. And with that, we'll put this one in the books. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to make Dogs by Nature and Straight No Chaser a part of your day. Please leave a comment in the comment section uh, in the article accompanying this episode as it helps me to fine tune and do the things which make my show even better for you, the Dogs by Nature community. Well, that was your dose of the straight truth. You've been listening to Straight No Chaser. I am your host, Thelonious Seven on Dogs by Nature. Take care.